Now before we go on with our gradual path of training and in particular aspects connected with Vipassana, namely insight, let us take a look at Satipatthana itself. What we're practicing here is Satipatthana, namely the establishment of mindfulness and as a meditator of this particular practice you need to know some of the very basic meditation instructions as given in the texts themselves. Now, the references to Satipatthana can be found of course, in the you know, long or the great sudden discourse on the establishments of uh, uh, mindfulness, Maha Satipatthana Sutta and the Diganikaya, the long discourses of the Buddha, but they can also be found in uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, namely uh, from the Majjhimanikaya, the middle length discourses of the Buddha, and then uh, there is a you know, pretty comprehensive a collection of uh, discourses now on Satipatthana uh, in the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of uh, the Buddha. And uh, apart from those, we find certain shorter and longer uh, discourses on Sati um, in the Anguttara Nikaya and uh, then also in uh, the, the Patisambida Magra, the path of uh, uh, yeah, the path of purification, and the Visuddhi Magra itself uh, also contains uh, plenty of uh, instructions on Satipatthana, and. Expositions on Satipatthana can furthermore be found in the Chinese and Sanskrit versions of the Buddhist texts. Now, when we look at the Satipatthana Sutta from the Majjhima Nikaya, now then, from a structural point of view, then uh, there's at first, or it's composed in the following way, uh, the first part consists of an introduction in which the Buddha mentions uh, where he gave uh, this talk, namely uh, in the land of the Kurus, and so, you know, then uh, there is the prologue in which uh, you know, the Buddha you know, mostly uh, and boldly you know, declares uh, you know, the seven you know, benefits to you know, this certain uh, practice and uh and then he goes on you know, to explain you know, those in brief, you know, those four establishments of mindfulness and also mentioning a couple of mental factors that need to accompany mindfulness, namely clear, clear comprehension as we've seen already and furthermore adapi, namely ardent energy. And, and then you know, the Buddha explains those uh, four 
four establishments one by one. The four establishments of mindfulness are the establishment of or mindful contemplation of the body or bodily phenomena, bodily formations, and then as number two, mindful contemplation of feelings, namely pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. And by feelings we don't mean emotions, but rather the effective quality of uh, of an object, and uh, then we have citta nupassana satipatthana, which is mindful contemplation of uh, the mind of citta, and uh, then we have mindful contemplation of dhammas, dhamma nupassana satipatthana, and the. First contemplation, namely that of front of the body, can or is then further broken down into mindful contemplation of breathing, of postures, of activities, of anatomical parts of the body, of elements, and then a corpse in decay. And Feelings are not further subdivided, and then we have mindfulness of the mind. So there's 16 elements or points there, which in one of the future Dhamma talks we will deal with. And then we have mindfulness, the mindful contemplation of Dhammas. And a number of aspects come under this, namely, the five uh, hindrances, the five hindrances, the five aggregates, then the six sense spheres, the the seven enlightenment factors, and uh, then the four noble truths. And then the concluding portion or the ending, the end of the Satipatthana Sutta consists in three parts, namely in a prediction part, predicting how long it may take a meditator to realize the Dhamma, and then a repetition of the statement of the seven benefits that can be derived from the Satipatthana meditation and finally comes uh, the conclusion. So that's just the uh, basic structure of the uh, Sutta. And uh, the Buddha uh, is in general very systematic when it comes to the arrangement of his uh, discourses. Um, Once one has seen the structure then it's almost uh, predictable what the next point is going to be. Now, so today we will focus mostly on the contemplation of the body, Kaya, Nupasana, Satipatthana. And as given a few moments ago, it consists of mindfulness of breathing, of bodily postures, of clear comprehension of activities, and this we have actually dealt with already to some extent under the topic of clear comprehension, or under the heading. And and then there's the, cont- the contemplation of the parts of the body, you know, such as you know, the head hair, the body hair, and you know, then the teeth, and the you know, fingernails, toenails, and so on. And you know, then 
uh, you know, the contemplation of the four elements and uh, you know, the symmetry you know, contemplations. Now, in the Mahasi you know, approach to you know, Satipatthana you know, meditation, not all of you know, these you know, six different aspects certainly come up. And so, you know, the Venerable Mahasi Sada has so, limited you know, his so, you know, interpretation of you know, the you know, contemplation of the body you know, to you know, certain uh, aspects. So, the observation of mindful contemplation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, what do you think? Under which of these contemplations does it come? Does it come under breathing or does it come under cemetery contemplations or (laughs) under which heading does it come? The body, um, yes, the body. Can you be? What do you mean by body? It's um, parts of the body or postures? Or oh, neither of those? Then, if neither of those, then what? Ah, here comes the breathing. And, well, one is tempted to see it this way. However, it's actually not the case. Now, uh, when we look at it in history, then in Venerable Mahasi's of Burma you know, first propagated uh, you know, this method of or this way of uh, you know, meditation. Now then, the quick, the big question arose: under which heading you know, to you know, present you know, this uh, rising for observation of the rising falling or using the rising falling movement of the abdomen as the primary object? And so, back then, and that uh, was in the late forties, nineteen forties. Yeah, there was uh, you know, big you know, discussions going on, and uh, also you know, some exchange of views you know, with uh, some Sri Lankan you know, Buddhist you know, scholars and uh, monastics. And so eventually, you know, the Venerable Mahasi Sayadaw you know, then. Um, Explained that he's or, or uh, um, well, and said that the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen comes under mindful contemplation of elements, namely the datus. And so you know, the datus are, uh, or you know, they make up what we call a body. And um, among the you know, so-called four elements, we have uh, you know, the earth element, or in other words, uh, you know, the element of solidity, covering hardness, the whole range from hardness to softness, and from uh, roughness to you know, smoothness. And uh, you know, then you know, we also have the wind element, uh, which stands for motion. And uh, you know, then we have the temperature element, or, or fire element, you know, which stands for various uh, uh, temperatures, uh, so covering the whole range from uh, you know, from heat uh, you know, to warmth and to cool to cold, 
and so, you know, then we have the water element upward and down to you know, which stands you know, for uh, cohesion uh, or you know, fluidity fluidity and uh, so among the four elements you know, under which the heading does uh, now you know, the contemplation of the rising falling fall the wind element yes is correct and uh, since when we breathe in the abdomen will undergo a certain motion and uh, as we uh, breathe out again there will be some movement there there will be a contraction and uh, so this has to do with the wind element or uh, with the element of uh, motion or movement and so one is tempted to think that uh, you know, uh, the observation of the rise and fall comes under the contemplation of breathing, but uh, actually it uh, belongs better under uh, the wind element as part of the uh, four elements. Now, in the Mahasi tradition of Satipatthana, we practice mostly mindfulness of bodily postures. So, mindfulness during during standing and or during walking, during standing, and then during sitting and lying. However, among those certain four you know, postures, which are the ones that are mostly recommended, especially during intensive retreats? Huh? Do we start with lying meditation? Yeah. <laughs> would be nice if it would be that way. <laughs> um, yeah, this might be something for you know, for the elderly, but not for us. And, um, and then the you know, venerable Mahasi said, "What? Uh, you know, what do you think? And, uh, did he include much uh, you know, the standing posture?" Now, to some extent, to a limited extent, you know, for, for instance, as part of the you know, walking you know, meditation when you know, standing and uh, uh, before you know, turning around. Um, however, there have been you know, people, actually you know, well-known you know, monastics such as Togu Sayadaw, you know, famous you know, disciple of Mahasi Sayadaw himself, who practiced in the standing posture for long, long hours. And the story is uh, that uh, Venerable Togu Sayadu ordained uh, only uh, during the later part of his life, uh, when he was uh, maybe 60 or 70, and at that time he was suffering from a, a number of different uh, illnesses. And uh, owing to his bad uh, health condition, um, or poor health, he could not practice uh, in the sitting posture. And so you know, the Venerable Sada recommended that he you know, do you know, standing you know, or meditation in standing, in the standing posture, which Dogu uh, Sada did. And uh, he found you know, that uh, you know, the longer he would stand, the more he would go and get into his practice, and certainly even his health would improve.
And so later on, Dogwood Nasada developed a system of mindfulness meditation that very much emphasizes long sessions of sitting meditation, of walking meditation, so hours, like seven, eight, nine, ten hours of just walking meditation non-stop. And then the same thing in standing meditation, and the same thing in lying meditation. And uh, well, you might think a line for you know, long stretches like 10 hours uh, must be wonderful, then I can go off sleeping. However, uh, if one is really mindful and has to observe all the different sensations that occur in the back or on the side, you know, then it's not necessarily all that pleasant. Anyway, so this is just uh, for general knowledge. And some. So, in the Mahasa tradition, we practice mindfulness of bodily postures, mostly the sitting posture and then walking posture. And like I said, occasionally, as part of the walking, there's a little bit of standing meditation there. And I do recommend standing meditation, especially for those who suffer from well, strong sloth and torpor. And so then we also practice clear comprehension of activities. So you know, when coming and going, and so, you know, then you know, when you know, taking the meals, and uh, bending and stretching the limbs, and opening and closing the eyes, and so, you know, brushing our teeth, and so on and so forth. And so the contemplation of the parts of the body, we don't practice all that much, but definitely, number five, the contemplation of the four elements. And so what about the symmetry contemplations? Do we do this? Not really. Um, Now... In general, we can say that this Gayanupasana Satipatthana is one out of those certain four establishments of mindfulness. And um, in essence, it's the same, or the essence of all four is the same, namely mindful contemplation of whatever predominant object arises in the body or in the mind. Now, when we look at uh, these uh, four establishments of mindfulness, starting with uh, Gaya Nupasana Satipatthana, so mindful contemplation of the body, and then next is mentioned feelings and then of uh, the mind, and uh, then of Dhammas, there is a certain principle that lies behind uh, the arrangement. And so what do you think is uh, the principle here? Have they been arranged in you know, you know, random order, or you know, is there a certain user friendliness? Could you explain this? <laughs> well, I, I think that um, my guess is, my hunch is, is that the body is the easiest to observe. Ah, and why is the body the easiest to observe? Uh, it's more. It's well, the feelings, the minds, and the mental states operate much more quickly. Ah, good. And, now, Rick, what you're saying is very good. Uh, 
And on top of this, you know, the bodily formations or sensations are usually coarser, not just slower, but also coarser you know, than you know, feelings and you know, than you know, the mind objects and you know, dhamma objects. And so. You know, so the four satipatthanas are arranged by way of increasing refinement, namely going from gross bodily objects to increasingly refined objects. So when it comes to something like the mindful contemplation of consciousness, this is extremely refined and it takes a lot of practice to do this or to see consciousness clearly. Now, when we actually undertake you know, the practice of uh, you know, these four establishments of mindfulness, does it mean you know, that we first um, practice exclusively Kaya Nupasana Satipatthana, namely mindful contemplation of the body or bodily formations, and then having done you know, this to some extent, then we you know, shift our focus onto feelings, and then having done this for a while, and the teacher gives permission, then we move on to Chitta Nupasana, and then finally to Dhamma Nupasana. Is this how it happens? What do you think? I'm sorry, what were the last two categories in English? Oh, the last two, the last one, the second last one is mindful contemplation of the mind, and the very last one is mindful contemplation of just dhammas. And the term is, it's a Pani term, and for the time being, let us leave it untranslated, because it covers certain many different aspects. No? So, then, how, is this how we proceed? So, first, exclusively we do Kaya Nupasana. My sense is that one begins there, but that, but that other things will arise. Ah. And that when they arise, one needs to note them, but then come back to the level at which one's working. Okay, very good. So, indeed, Stephen, what you're saying uh, is correct. Within one single sitting, it is quite likely that all four contemplations or four establishments of mindfulness um, will be uh, or will occur. And now to give you an explanation for this or an example for this, we start out with a contemplation of the rising and falling. Rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and obviously this then comes under Nikaya Nupasana Satipatthana. So mindful contemplation of the body and in particular the wind element, but also other elements. And then, as we um, persistently observe you know, the different qualities of the rising and falling, we notice that it is accompanied by some feeling. So, let's say there's a pleasant feeling there. And then, we become aware of this pleasant feeling. We label it, we observe it, we know its nature. When, when this happens, now while we're aware of you know, the you know, pleasant feeling, we are doing you know, mindful contemplation of feelings, namely Vedna Nupasana Satipatthana. And so, 
Uh, then as we keep observing and as we are aware of this pleasant feeling and it's really so pleasant uh, in the mind a sense of liking arises and uh, so the mind wants to experience more and more of it in other words greed is there so greed becomes the predominant uh, object of observation eventually we, we recognize what is happening and we turn our mindfulness to it and so, you know, then you know, we you know, observe this greed and with this then it becomes mindful contemplation of the mind so we realize we're aware of uh, a mind you know, that is uh, uh, associated uh, with uh, a consciousness associated with greed and so and then, you know, as we continue to you know, practice and so we con- contemplate various objects as they you know, arise, we realize after a while, well, not just greed has arisen, but uh, you know, also you know, later on you know, there's some uh, aversion to, towards the pain that has, has arisen in the meantime. And uh, you know, then you know, after a while we find uh, you know, that we're overwhelmed by dullness of the mind so sloth and torpor is there and then we find after a while that some restlessness is there and finally some skeptical doubts cross our mind and so we contemplate leaving the retreat even though there's no real reason for this and then when we you know, turn our awareness to these different mental states eventually we get the point ah, these must be the five hindrances so greed is there, aversion is there and sloth and torpor is there, restlessness and so maybe also some remorse and skeptical doubt is there and as such then it becomes or it, it then becomes mindful contemplation of dhammas namely the five hindrances which is one group uh, of uh, teachings so within one single sitting all four of those satipatthanas can come up uh, for for observation now let us take or let us see what the Satipatthana Sutta has to say in terms of direct instruction regarding bodily postures, mindfulness of bodily postures. And I'm quoting from the Majjhima Nikaya in the Satipatthana Sutta there. When walking, one knows I am walking. When standing, one knows I am standing. When sitting, one knows I am sitting. When lying down, one knows I am lying down. Or one knows accordingly, however one's body is disposed. So, what we have here in this short paragraph on instructions on bodily contemplation of bodily postures 
there's mention not just of the four postures, but in the last sentence, how everyone's body is certainly disposed, one knows it. So if one assumes a posture, some intermediate posture, that is neither, neither walking, nor standing, nor sitting, nor lying down, one is still mindful of it. And this then means, this then covers postures such as the process of lying down, not quite quite being in the lying posture. And this then covers, for instance, the case of uh, Venerable Ananda, the you know, disciple and attendant of you know, the Buddha for many years, who gained arahanship in which posture? Well, you know, while he was actually lying on the bed or uh, you know, getting into that posture getting into the lying posture. Quite correct. So, his head hadn't quite yet reached the pillow or the bed and it is at that point that he gained full realization. Now, when it comes to these, to the contemplation of the postures, again, they are arranged in a particular way, namely from walking to standing to sitting to lying. And the organizing principle here is, and I'm basing this on observations by Venerable Analayo in his book, Satipatthana, um, the principle is from the more active walking to the more uh, refined and passive posture of uh, lying down. Now, in the Mahasiddha approach to Satipatthana, there is a tremendous emphasis on the continuity of uh, one's uh, mindfulness. Can you think of other traditions in Vipassana where this is not really the case? the jhanas, yes, so there you do your sitting and then? Well, then you just get up and you walk around and take it easy. (laughs) 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 Or, to give you another example, well, in the Goenka tradition of Vipassana meditation, so much emphasis there is given to sitting meditation, and then after sitting, the meditators are encouraged to, you know, be somewhat generally mindful, but definitely not to, and I clearly remember the instruction, not to walk around slowly like a snail would, (laughs) crawl around. 
and so, and so that then shows uh, there is less uh, emphasis on walking uh, meditation there. Now, the Venerable Mahasi Sayadon very much trying to maintain or very much trying to ensure that the mindfulness, the concentration and also the wisdom developed and acquired during the sitting meditation does not get lost after the sitting meditation is over. So just just imagine a negative example. So you sit there in meditation you try really hard and certainly you give your very best to observe the rise and fall from moment to moment and other predominant objects and then come forward and then finally comes the bell and you jump up and uh, then you run out of the meditation hall and you start talking to your fellow meditators and uh, uh, then uh, you distract yourself by reading and uh, by doing all sorts of things. Now, this would uh, be helpful for your mindfulness and for your concentration and for your wisdom? Yes or no? Uh, Probably not. And now, if such a meditator then were to go back to the next sitting, he or she would have to start all over again. Or at least you know, the practice of the ones of the mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom will have uh, you know, dropped off to, you know, significantly, and uh, in the next sitting, one needs to you know, develop it again. And. So in the Mahasi tradition, the approach is different, and so, you know, there's much um, the, well attention being paid you know, to uh, maintaining one's mindfulness from the sitting meditation and you know, letting it carry over into you know, the walking meditation. You know, the same thing goes for the concentration. The same thing goes for you know, the wisdom. And ideally, if one is uh, not blowing it uh, during the walking meditation through absent-mindedness or lack of restraint of the senses, then one's mindfulness, concentration and wisdom will improve even further. And by the time uh, the next sitting comes, one is in an even better state than at the end of the previous sitting. So then there's a clear progression from one sitting to the next walking, from the walking to the next sitting, and so on and so forth. And when that continuity of mindfulness is not quite um, assured, and then easily it will lead to the arising of uh, which object? The doubt, <laughs> yes, the doubt and wandering mind, which the doubts may very much then color the wandering mind. Now, when when one contemplates. 
the, the different you know, postures, and in particular a change of postures, then you know, this will have one um, major benefit, namely it will lead to a decrease in wandering mind, and so also in you know, distractions, and it will strengthen one's, as we've seen, you know, one's uh, mindfulness. So it is, frequently it happens that you know, during this change of posture or the transition from one posture to another, uh, that uh, the distractions come, the wandering mind comes in, distractions uh, come in. And so, so when one you know, focuses one's beam of certain attention onto you know, those certain changes of certain posture, you know, then there's less likelihood you know, for you know, the mind to you know, wander off. Now, in general, we can you know, say that a longer contemplation in the sitting posture will lead to a development of concentration, whereas a longer you know, contemplation in the you know, in, in the walking posture will lead to you know, the strengthening of effort. And the reason for this is as follows: you see, in the walking meditation, a double you know, or a twofold effort is required, namely the bodily effort to maintain an upright posture, not to lose one's balance and not to fall over, and secondly the mental effort to keep one's attention on you know, the different sensations that are occurring you know, during you know, the walking. Now, whereas in the sitting meditation you need less of that bodily effort to maintain you know, the sitting posture. Some effort will be necessary, of course, but not as much as during you know, uh, the walking. And so, you know, during a longer sitting, since the body is not moving, um, there'll be less agitation in the mind, and uh, as a result, it is easier you know, to develop pertinent concentration. So, should ever, you know, should you ever find that you're lacking in concentration, then one of the things you can do is simply you know, opt for a longer you know, sitting, and so you know, this uh, might help. In, in this connection, also what helps is you know, to stay with one predominant object such as a pain you know, for a longer period of time and this will definitely uh, sharpen or strengthen uh, your uh, concentration. Now, maybe you know, this much you know, regarding you know, the um, original instruction on bodily postures and some notes on those uh, instructions. Now, next, let us uh, see what the you know, Satipatthana Sutta has to say in terms of instructions on you know, the, the mindful contemplation of elements, which is one of uh, one of the aspects of uh, um, you know, the contemplation of the body. So. And I'm quoting again from the Satipatthana Sutta. A meditator reviews this same body, however it is placed, however disposed as consisting of elements thus. 
In this body there are the, uh, the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. So, what Satya this uh, instruction then uh, does is analyzing our a particular part of our being uh, in a different way, namely by way of uh, the four primary elements or the great elements, Maha, Bhuta, Dhatu, uh, in the Pali scriptural language. So early on, uh, our um, our body was uh, analyzed by way of posture, so you know, walking, standing, sitting, lying. Now we take a closer look at the body under you know, the aspect of uh, the four elements, and. This in Nepali is known as Datu Vavatana. Datu means element and Vavatana is analysis. And when a meditator like all of you keeps observing the predominant objects occurring in the body, and in particular under the aspect of the four elements, so the earth element, and then the fire element, the wind element, and the water element, then what does this lead to? What's the benefit of this? It sharpens concentration. Yes, this is one aspect. But more important than this. Yes. Okay. Let me give you a hint. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'll, I'll exaggerate a little bit. my body is so beautiful, oh my body is so strong, oh my body is so healthy, oh my body is so important, everything turns around my body. My body needs to be dressed nicely and it needs to be attractive, it needs to impress other people. Don't hit my body because you're hitting my ego. So, when we then undertake this uh, mindful contemplation of the body uh, in, under the aspect of the four elements, then what do we realize? Huh? It's true nature in which sense? Change. Ah, change. Now we're getting there. And what else? Dukkha. <laughs> huh? Dukkha. Ah, anatta. So, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. So, for those who don't uh, know these Pani technical expressions, um, Anicca means impermanence, and uh, Dukkha means unsatisfactoriness, and Anatta means uh, uh, absence of self or no self. And so, 
And so, as non-meditators, we tend to be terribly uh, attached to our body and preoccupied with our body and always so concerned with the condition and well-being of our body. It's just unbelievable. We're really overdoing it. And so, this contemplation of the four elements then helps us very much to bring about a major shift in our perception of the body. And previously, we relate to the body as my body, or the body is identified with as I. So you know, the, you know, the body and the ego is the same thing. And so, um, as we then contemplate, we realize that after all, it lacks a self, it lacks an essence. All there is, is just no self. And thus, this careful analysis, or Datu Vavatana, so uh, analysis uh, in terms of the elements, then leads to a shift in perception from my body to just elements, and a sense of uh, uh, an absence of a self. And the Buddha has given no, actually, what was that? Venerable Buddha Gosa, the famous commentator who compiled the Visuddhimagga, has given a wonderful explanation to an illustration that the Buddha originally mentioned, namely that of a butcher and a cow. Now, a butcher who has reared a cow for several months and then finally goes to slaughter this cow. And then he cuts it up into different pieces. And eventually he takes these pieces and he goes to some crossroads and then sells it as meat. So, what we have here is in this illustration a shift in um, in, in perception from um, this, uh, from seeing it first as a cow, and then you know, once it has been slaughtered and cut up, you know, the butcher will see it as meat. So it is meat that is you know, that he is selling, and not the cow that he is selling. <laughs> Likewise, as uh, as Vipassana or Satipatthana meditators, 
at first we relate to this body as certain, you know, as a compact uh, unit, as certain, you know, making up our being. But then, um, you know, then as we undergo this meditation practice, a clear shift in our in perception or cognition takes place, and we no longer see it as a being or as a whole body, but rather consisting of or composed of you know, those four primary elements. So that's a major, um, major change in perspective. And what this then also does is it helps us to decrease our attachment or our grasping to uh, the body. And it helps to decrease our sense of self. Now, this content, I'm citing Venerable Analayo from his book, Satipatthana. Contemplation of the four elements has thus the potential to lead to penetrative realization of the insubstantial and selfless nature of material reality. And so this contemplation, if carried you know, to, um, you know, to its fullest, may lead you know, to the full the realization of uh, the Dhamma namely the full uh, enlightenment. Now, let us explore some general aspects connected with the contemplation of the body, and in particular the purpose and various purposes and benefits of it. So, this contemplation of the body is certainly said to um, bring into proper perspective our way of seeing and relating to the body. Now, under normal circumstances, we see our, especially when we're young and healthy, we see our own body as rather uh, attractive. And we see it as wonderful, and we show it around to others, and we want others to get interested in it. Isn't it that way? And we even do that when we're old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, then that comment is correct. <laughs> and so, so, by undertaking this kind of asana satipatthana, we realize what we think is so attractive is in the end not all that attractive. And so the unattractive aspects of the body come more into the foreground than the attractive aspects of the body. 
Now, the Venerable Sadhupanita, now sometimes, now when he now speaks on Satipatthana, and certain people being infatuated now, with the body of another being, uh, then ask the you know, rhetorical question, what are you so terribly in love with? The head hair of that person, or you know, the nose of that person, or, uh, or with the, you know, the one of the earlobes, or whatever else. And um, of course we can uh, take it even uh, further. And uh, so there are many uh, rather unpleasant aspects to uh, this body of uh, ours. And so, so Satipatthana meditation helps us, especially when we are mindful of all activities, uh, to realize this. Now, the practice of you know, the mindful contemplation of the body will also help us to understand another aspect, namely uh, that this body is uh, you know, only uh, the, prod- you know, the product of certain conditions. So what we experience physically you know, has always some uh, cause. So strong pain arises, some or you know, strong heat arises in the body, and uh, we start sweating, and eventually we take you know, some of our uh, clothes off. Um, or it's uh, very cold outside, the body starts uh, shivering, and uh, then you know, we start putting on some extra clothes. Or, and uh, still along the same line, it's still cold, and uh, the skin starts uh, cracking. So these are all um, causal results. And so, this particular aspect, the Buddha then explains further, and I'm quoting from a passage that occurs in many different places where it says, on the human body, now, this body made of material form, consisting of the four great elements, procreated by a mother and a father, and built up out of boiled rice and porridge, is subject to impermanence, to being worn and rubbed away, to dissolution and disintegration. It should be regarded as impermanent, as suffering, as a disease, as a tumor, as a dart, a calamity, as an affliction, as alien, as disintegrating, as void, as non-self. When one regards this body thus, one abandons desire for the body, affection for the body, and subservience to the body. So this Satnya then um, makes uh, things a little bit uh, clearer. Now, furthermore, 
we tend to be, um, as Sadhna mentioned earlier on, we tend to be terribly infatuated with the body. And Sadhna Son, this continuous mindful you know, contemplation of you know, the body helps us you know, to you know, then see things according to reality and you know, with this you know, then also our infatuation with the body you know, will you know, decrease to some uh, extent and um, with this comes another benefit, namely, we're less concerned about the body. So, whether the body is aching a little bit or not, it doesn't matter. As a seasoned meditator, we know, oh, well, it's just another phenomenon. No, these two will pass. What to worry about? Let me just observe it. Thus, being less concerned with the body, um, less occupied with it, it is indeed um, a venue or a possibility that leads to the development of more and more concentration. So the answer given earlier on, this mindful contemplation of the body that will help or be helpful for the development of deep concentration. So the, the mind is less certainly distracted or unhindered by sensual distractions. Now, this mindful contemplation of the body, it is said, can be the basis for the development of samatha meditation and as part of samatha even some psychic powers. But more important than this, it certainly can then also lead a meditator on to the mindful contemplation of feelings of the mind and of dhammas. So, mindful contemplation of you know, the body is an important uh, aspect you know, when it certainly comes uh, to um, uh, the realization of uh, the Dhamma. And it is actually said that this uh, mindful contemplation of the body can take us all the way to the attainment or to the destruction of uh, the taints or moral um, intoxicants. And the Buddha has spoken to this as is recorded in Dhammapada verse 293 where it says, in those who always make a good effort in meditating on the body, who do not do what should not be done, but always do what should be done, who are also mindful and endowed with clear comprehension, moral intoxicants, the so-called asawas or taints or corruptions, come to an end. And the destruction of those taints comes only with the attainment of full realization, namely of arahanship. Now, 
this uh, then shows you the potential of Gaya Nupasana Nisatipatthana. So, you know, if we want to, theoretically, we could do, you know, we could concentrate only on the mindful contemplation of, of bodily formations, and uh, this would lead us to you know, the, of, you know, the final goal. Now, in the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, in at least two places, it is said you know, that uh, this mindful contemplation of the body also uh, acts as a crucial factor you know, for you know, withstanding you know, the you know, tempting forces of Mara. And uh, Mara stands you know, for unwholesome uh, mental states such as greed, hatred, and uh, fear. And certain you know, fame and certain so on, uh, craving for name and certain you know, fame. Now. One point that uh, I left out uh, early on in our discussion about uh, you know, the contemplation of uh, you know, the body under the aspects of uh, you know, seeing the elements you know, leading to non-self. Well, this helps very much, or helps the meditator very much, you know, to eventually overcome uh, this wrongful belief in the existence of a self, Atta Deity or Sakaya Deity. Um, Sakaya Deity is the, you know, the wrongful belief in a you know, self, and Atta Deity is just the belief in a uh, you know, self. And so, as we undertake Gaya Nupasana Satipatthana, at first, as a number of meditators have now realized through their own meditation, at first we see, we see the rising and falling movement of the abdomen as my rising and falling, and pain as my pain, and some hardness as my hardness, and so on. But with some practice after a couple of days, the same meditators will you know, then state, no, you know, it's just you know, the rising and falling happening, just the process. It's not my pain, but it's just the pain. It's not my hardness, it's just hardness. And as one continues to meditate, you know, this certain new way of seeing uh, and relating to phenomena will you know, be uh, further intensified or further strengthened until one eventually gains the path of stream entry, sotapati, maga, and uh, with this, this wrongful belief in the existence of the self will be uprooted from the mind once and uh, forever. So that's an important uh, point. And the mindful contemplation of the body is said to you know, bring about a yet a further you know, major benefit, namely in the form of tethering uh, the you know, mind to you know, the um, predominant or you know, tethering the mind to you know, the body. Now, as you will know from your own meditation practice, 
the untrained mind has this you know, obnoxious habit of continuously wandering off. You try to keep it on the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and it will stay there for a few moments, and so, you know, whenever the next opportunity you know, arises, it will go off you know, thinking about something else. Or uh, you are trying to observe the, you know, a pain, and then you know, some louder you know, sound arises, and uh, the mind goes off, uh, you know, paying attention to the sound. And so, by you know, undertaking this contemplation of uh, you know, some bodily you know, formation, we you know, gradually withdraw our attention from the external senses, from the sense doors, you know, such as the eye door, the ear door, the nose door, and the tongue door. And so uh, our attention goes primarily you know, to you know, the body door. And the same thing goes also for you know, the mind door, you know, when the mind goes in all sorts of uh, um, memories or you know, planning you know, the future and so on. And this certain particular aspect of Satipatthana is compared to the taming of a calf. A farmer who has a young calf doesn't want it to remain wild. A young calf will be full of energy and jumping around and running around. And so what does a farmer do? He will take, uh, uh, he will get uh, a rope, he will then tie the rope around the neck of the calf and uh, then uh, bring with him uh, some uh, strong uh, wooden uh, pole and uh, he will drive uh, this, he or she will drive uh, this pole into uh, the ground and then tie uh, the calf uh, with the help of the rope to the pole. With this, the you know, uh, radius of action of you know, the calf will be tremendously limited. And so, you know, then, after a couple of days of being tied down to a pole, what will the calf do? Hmm? Well, Calmly, it will stay somewhere near the pole, and it will stop jumping uh, around. And so uh, the same thing happens with the mind's tendency of uh, going to the different uh, sense doors. Now, let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by the wishing. By undertaking the contemplation of the body, Kaya Nupasana, Satipatthana, and the different aspects that are mentioned uh, here under, may you, uh, your meditation you know, will develop through the different insight knowledges and may it eventually, as certain, uh, proposed uh, by the Buddha himself, lead all of us you know, to you know, the full realization of the Dhamma. And this is it for tonight.
Now, do you have any questions or comments? Yes, uh, then Nicola. I'm curious about how the Hathisaido came to focus on the rising and falling to pioneer that and how and why. Oh, because he himself you know, practiced you know, with um, the so-called Mula Mingon Sayadaw, you know, the root, you know, root Mingon Sayadaw, you know, and uh, you know, who lived in Tatong, you know, which is in the south of you know, Burma, and it was this Sayadaw, you know, this Burmese uh, you know, monk, who you know, had you know, developed um, this uh, observation of the rising and falling of you know, the abdomen and Satya then taught this to Mahasi Saido and Mahasi Saido himself found it to be very valuable it worked for him and so, you know, and then uh, having uh, gained good certain benefits from it that's what he you know, then taught others and you'll find the same thing you know, for other you know, Vipassana teachers you know, a person like Sunun Saido found that heavy breathing is really or worked very well for him. So at the beginning of a session, 45 minutes of hyperventilating. And if you like to, we, well, no, we're not going to try that here. You might even pass out. Um, so, anyways, so for Sunan Sayadaw, you know, 45 minutes of heavy breathing at the beginning of a session you know, would you know, work or, or lead to very good results, and he would then you know, go on sitting until all the so-called unpleasant you know, formations had subsided in the body, and so that you know, then meant you know, sitting longer you know, stretches. So, like a minimum an hour and a half, sometimes even longer than that. And you know, what worked for him, he then taught you know, to others. And in the case of Mogok Sayadaw, another Burmese uh, famous meditation uh, master, you know, well, he concentrated his approach to the meditation on the Patichasumna Samupada, so you know, dependent origination. And so undertaking the practice you know, from under this aspect, you know, seeing you know, the causal you know, links between you know, the objects, and so, you know, well, it worked for him, and so, you know, that's what he taught so, you know, others. So there seems to be a tendency you know, among you know, meditation famous or founders of meditation or schools of meditation to teach that what has what they found to be useful for themselves does this answer your question yeah so it wasn't Mahasi Sayadaw himself who shifted away from inhale exhale into the rising falling it was actually his teacher yeah right uh -huh. plus uh, Mahasi Sayadaw um, 
Well, just to find uh, the observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen over the in and out breathing in the following you know, way by saying you know, that you know, the you know, rising falling movement of the abdomen as an object is coarser you know, than you know, the observation of uh, or taking the in and out breathing as an object and thus easier to observe. And not. Yes. Uh, spiritual life. I was drawn to Buddhism because of its extraordinary commitment to nonviolence. Uh, but I was disturbed along the way to learn of the enlistment of Buddhism in, in Japanese fascism and the inefficacy of Buddhism to protect the people of Cambodia. And I wonder, how, did, how does the practice protect itself against a baneful antagonism toward the body. Is matter the solution to that problem? In other words, if we are cognizant of the body as a kind of bag of chemicals, does it not become easy to do harm to it? Mm. Uh, so there are various aspects to you know, your you know, questions there. Mm. What you're pointing at, or what you're pointing out, uh, you know, you know, Buddhism being somewhat certainly involved in uh, Japanese certain uh, fascism, yes, indeed, and actually we can uh, go even further in saying that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the 10th, 11th, and 12th, or 12th to 14th century, you know, there in Japan there were the, the so-called uh, uh, warrior monks, uh, monastic who you know, would even take a weapon in you know, then, uh, you know, in an organized you know, manner attack another monastery or you know, attack you know, the you know, local prefecture and so on. Now these are regrettable uh, aspects in uh, the history of uh, Buddhism. And uh, um, well, Venerable Narada Terra, uh, in his book, What the Buddha, no, no, wait a minute, well, I think it's, I'm not quite sure, Walpula Rahula or Narada Terra. I think it's Rahula, Walpola Rahula. In his book, what the Buddha taught, boldly declares at the beginning that no drop of blood has been shed in the name of Buddhism. This modern research into Buddhists or into the history of Buddhism in different countries now proves to be a somewhat superficial state. There have been, unfortunately, cases where uh, Buddhism wasn't all that non-violent. But nonetheless, as a whole, uh, it's still um, a pretty non-violent or peaceful religion. Now, when it comes to your remarks about Cambodia, during the four years of uh, the, the rule of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, how was it? And I think two million people you know, uh, that were killed out of a population of four million, and among them even many, uh, many monastics, and. Uh, 
I guess uh, well uh, outside at the time outside countries just didn't uh, didn't have much leverage to interfere with what was going on in Cambodia and uh, and and as far as I know you know, the Khmer Rouge you know, were extremely brutal you know, when it came to you know, well, the killing killing Cambodians including you know, the monastics and so, so any kind of um, resistance apparently you know, resistance to the Cambodian you know, or to the rule of the Khmer Rouge you know, was uh, uh, apparently um, you know, well strongly uh, well uh, suppressed and so then as for the last part of your you know, uh, comment the notion about the body it's it's not that you know, we um, are led to kind of neglect the body. It's more in the sense of um, seeing or relating, seeing and relating to the body in a more realistic manner, and. So, so not making such a big deal out of this body, however, yet caring about it. And so, you see, when it comes to reflections on food and taking food, we are encouraged to take food with an, with an aim to nourish, to sustain this body, and in particular to sustain it for our spirit work and not to you know, you know disregard it and keep in mind that you know, the Buddha himself had engaged in you know, well extreme forms of practices such as uh, asceticism and or austere practices uh, like fasting and so on and he himself found that this is not working and so he did not recommend this um, and then on the positive side we have when you think of what, you know, the, um, what we recite every morning the metta chanting and then the last line uh, may I take care of my body happily what this means may I look after this body and uh, um, you know get it out of bed happily and then uh, move it to the bathroom happily and so uh, <laughs> And you know, then shower it and dress it and uh, feed it and uh, move the balls and then walk it or, or you know exercise it and so on and so forth. And so, and so you know, there is uh, a fair, you know, a fair concern you know, that the you know, concern for the Buddha, sorry, a fair concern for the body uh, that you know, the Buddha expresses. No. So it's not necessarily really promoting, neglecting our body. No, and in actuality, have you been to to India? 
No? Well, uh, if you were to you know, go to India, now then, then you would see, or but you can also see in, on, on, you know, in, in videos and elsewhere, um, the forms that so, um, Hinduism sometimes certainly takes, like uh, uh, sadhus certain practicing uh, forms of uh, uh, well ascetic practices, um, and part of this is uh, well sometimes eating very little or exposing the body to you know, the heat of a fire, going as close as certainly possible, and then you know, smearing the body with all sorts of I don't know colors and dust and uh, what uh, what not so in comparison to that uh, in the Buddhist world uh, you don't find anything like this and uh, so in comparison to that in Buddhism there's uh, a fair regard for it, uh, for the body no so then anything else uh, yes Stephen I'm, I'm very interested in, in what you said about um, the movement of the breath being, uh, the, the movement of the abdomen um, following that as um, as movement as, as the wind element um, and it, it makes me think about um, whether one sees movement as a, 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 a thing, as a, uh, an element, or whether it is, uh, as in your story about Ananda, a series of positions, like the difference between analog and digital, that, that, that whether, for instance, when walking, you know, I lift my foot, and the foot is lifted. Or whether there, whether it is always the the wind element, or in a sense, um, the, the two ways it would seem to me to, to look at it: are one that it's movement, and the other is that it's a series of disappearances. Ah, uh, not so bad. Yeah, no, no. It's a series of movements. So let's take one movement, such the, such as the gliding movement of the foot. No, then. Um, upon superficial observation of this gliding movement, we may find it to be um, one continuous movement. However, with uh, the mindfulness well developed, we will find that it's actually not just one continuous movement, but a series of smaller movements, sometimes tiny, tiny little movements, one after the other. And at one particular point, during one of the insight knowledges, a meditator will clearly see the dissolution of each of those uh, uh, segments or uh, smaller movements. So what appears that... uh, 
know, on the surface to be one continuous movement uh, upon closer observation you know, turns out to be different and can be seen again in you know, again in a different way you know, at one point at an earlier point in the meditation practice a meditator you know, will see uh, objects and including movements as quickly coming going coming going coming going so there's different ways of seeing things no and so in the meditation practice, just in general, our perception of the, of the world, our perception of, uh, of the mind, of the body, um, changes a great deal. There's an, our ordinary way of seeing uh, this body and mind and seeing the world, and you know, then apart from this, uh, there are many other ways of uh, seeing, uh, seeing things. And as you go along uh, in, in your meditation practice, you will gradually you know, then discover this for yourself. No. So there was one one last question. Yes, over there, uh, John. The disappearance of the body in meditation, at least for me, is a very joyful experience. But at the same time, I would, it brings on a dual problem of wanting to cling to the meditation where the body disappears and then the aversion of having to come back oh. the body that you're trying to um, see through to begin with and it's uh, how do you deal with that uh, I mean it's, it would seem natural to want to cling to that joyful experience of having the meditation without the body and how do you deal with having to come back to to this body that you know you're trying to get away from to begin with uh, well, the answer, you know, the answer to this uh, li- again lies in mindfulness. So. When you know, there's enjoyment in getting away from this body, uh, when, for instance, the, you know, the, the boundary of the body falls away, uh, the shape, contour of the body falls away, and so if you know, then you know, some aversion arises when you know, well, you know, the sense of body comes back, then just be mindful of that too. And maybe one more, one more point, uh, or uh, elaboration. In the context of the meditation practice, you know, we uh, experience a transition from seeing the, or at first uh, seeing the body, seeing the body as consisting of many different uh, sensations, and having uh, having a clear boundary or outline. Now, in the course of the meditation practice, this changes, the boundary changes, and at times it's partly there and partly not there, and uh, later on uh, it will disappear altogether. And at that point uh, we'll realize, uh, even, even earlier we might already realize, the shape or form or boundary of the body is just a concept, and it's not ultimate reality. And the formations themselves, like uh, pains and aches and rising and falling and so on, those are you know, those stand for ultimate reality. They really uh, exist and they can't be uh, reduced uh, any further. So, in the 
this process when sometimes the sense of the body falls away then just accept it uh, just be mindful of it and when at other times the sense of the body comes back then again just accept that and be mindful of that and if in that connection well you know uh, um, joy arises or aversion arises be mindful of it does this answer your question? It answers it, yeah, it's easier said than done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, maybe this much for tonight. Um, if there's any leftover question from today, then uh, let's keep it for tomorrow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.